Welcome to What's Left, a weekly political discussion challenging the mainstream left. I'm Eduardo Barca with co-host, teacher and socialist, Andy Lipson, and community organizer and socialist, Kenny Cepeda. We are online at what-s-left.webno.com. Uh, please subscribe, rate, review, turn on your notifications, and share your favorite episode wherever you found this episode. Thank you. Um, today, we're excited to have uh, to have our very own <laughs> Alison McDowell, once again, uh, contributed to what's left, also uh, a mother and independent researcher in Philadelphia, Pennsylvania, uh, who blogs at the intersection of race, finance, and technology at Wrenching the Gears. Uh, we'll log, uh, we'll uh, link to your blog in the episode notes, Alison. Um, and as I'll just do a reminder for folks, you remember Alison began her effort and as into looking in depth at the slow privatization of public education and fighting uh, standardized testing in public education, and which slowly evolved into an investigation of globalized poverty management, euphemistically known as social impact investing. And she has spent years researching into predatory educational technologies, harvesting the new oil, which is data. <laughs> Uh, and we're also joined by uh, Lynn uh, Davenport. Lynn Davenport is a former IT recruiter for Arthur Anderson, who uh, quit to stay at home with her three kids and a public school and education researcher, 11 years as a coach for unemployed people. And we're very excited to have her join us in this conversation. And we'll also get to know more about her as she'll share with us. Maybe we'll start there, actually. Yeah, Lynn, since okay. you're... Yeah, why don't you share with us uh, about your background and who you are? Okay, sure. Well, it, my background is similar to similar to Allison's in that I started paying attention to what was happening in the schools with my kids and seeing this stranglehold of the the accountability system, which is our standardized testing, and I'm you know from Texas, and so we've got you know the bushes and no child left behind and all of that mess. Well, it was kind of a delayed effect before it really started impacting the schools, and and so I saw from my oldest to my youngest uh, a shift in the the way they were teaching, and then that led me down all kinds of rabbit holes trying to figure out you know following the money. That's what Allison and I are both really good at, and and figuring out. Where's all this coming from? And the teachers, it, you know, some of it's a slow boil and the teachers don't like it, but you know, there's that culture of fear and they can't really speak out or else they get ostracized or, or, uh, you know, they lose their, uh, their voice. And so, uh, then, uh, when Allison and I connected, we were on a podcast that, uh, another education researcher, Alice Linehan connected us with. And so she had Allison and I both on the podcast and we were talking about artificial intelligence and gamification of education and uh, how ed tech, education technology was coming in the schools. And it was, uh, and some of it is, uh, is done kind of behind the scenes, uh, you know, not above board, these contracts that come in. And so you just start following, you know, who are the players and our commissioner of education in Texas was a Dallas ISD school board trustee, and he's brought in social impact bonds to the Texas legislature, and then that's rolled down into some of the school districts. But they, they don't. Uh, well, and we'll talk more about the social impact bonds here. But 
they don't always have, they don't always call them social impact bonds. They have these euphemisms or you know, these innovative sounding names, like math innovation zones. Anytime you hear the word zone, you know that it's, it's something predatory and sinister and basically just drawing a line around you. They're going to just suck off all your, whatever, your data, your outcomes, your outputs, whatever. And so I that's, that's pretty much it. Hmm? Well, like when I started this, the extent to which Texas and Dallas and then Austin are like tech centers, right? I mean, when I sort of stumbled in, you sort of think of Silicon Valley, but there's a huge landscape in Texas of the tech. Really well, a lot of those backers are there's their oil money backing these ed tech companies. And so I started seeing this recurring theme. And so now that we know that data is the new oil, it makes sense because the, it's, it's really all about the human capital, the natural resources, either drying up or maybe not as um, lucrative as our bodies are going to be. And people look at you like you have two heads if you talk about the internet of bodies, but it's a thing, it's real. I remember you you heard it here first, you know, I mean, like reasoning mind, those early things. Do you remember reasoning mind? Like way back when we had that interview, maybe you can can say something about reasoning mind. Cause I think I went to the legislature and I was talking about reasoning mind because they have this, this artificial, this genie is what they call it. And this was backed by Moscow and Texas oil. And so, you know, they always have the story, you know, they get the violin out and it's like, oh, the, the sob story about the, these refugees coming from Russia and they had $50 in their pocket, and, but they really wanted their kid to, to know the kind of math that they learned in Russia. And so they just started this software program, which is all BS because they're petroleum engineers who came to the States. Okay, maybe they struggled a bit, but there were professionals there. They, they were not refugees. And um, so they, so I went to the legislature. I mean, when I look back, I was quite naive, but I remember one of these, these legislators, he was like, so is your issue with Russia? And this was all before the whole Trump Russia stuff. And I was like, well, I mean, yeah, a little bit. Uh, Moscow oil is, is impacting our kids' education here. Yeah, what's wrong with that? It's like I had a tinfoil hat. And then all of a sudden, you know, Russia becomes this huge issue in America. Okay, well, maybe there was a concern. Maybe we should be concerned there. But uh, he was kind of mocking me a bit. But then I was able to produce that it had this reasoning mind software, this math software that was brought in. So basically, investors provide the seed money up front, and they partner with the district, and they they watch the they measure the results of these kids and their test scores. So if the kids' math scores improve, then the investors get a return. And so we're in the middle of this and some of the districts is not completed. The payout hasn't happened yet, but Reasoning Mind was one of those contracts that that they uh, they were part of that math innovation zone, as they call it. And it was like a chat bot, right? Essentially. And the kids are getting attached to it. Yes. And so the, actually it was a Gates Foundation study on this, but they found that the kids were attached to this genie and they would send her private in these messages and saying, you know, I'm going to miss you, genie. I'm moving to, you know, some other state. And I mean, yeah, like they would get attached to a teacher. And so that was my testimony before the legislature. I was like, okay, we need to maybe investigate this and really do a deep dive 
figure out, is this really good for kids? And of course, you know, it puts teachers eventually it works them out of a job. So those who support the stuff, it's like, come on, let's think about this. You become a facilitator initially, and then eventually they'll cram 60 kids in a classroom or they'll be at home on some device with this genie. Uh, so, we, you know, we know where this is headed. Yep. Well, thanks for being here. Yeah, I think we could just have an episode where you two talk the whole time back and forth. Actually, I honestly feel like it would work. One of the few people who follow it, like we have this small core group of most of the people in education. Like, I mean, you know how it's gone. Like the people you thought would be all with you weren't, right? And so we have this sort of core group of people who've been able to actually look at this. And I will say it, last January before any of all of this happened, I actually went down to Dallas and Tulsa you know, not knowing, like we had a sense stuff was up, but we did not know how quickly it was going to hit, you know, and, and, um, and Lynn and I did some interesting uh, ed tech field visit in Dallas. And then the other piece about Dallas that connects to Philly is we know that the human capital bond markets are running through the federal reserves. Okay, so both Philadelphia and Dallas have federal reserve divisions, which are very significant in the human capital bond project. So, um, do you, do you want me to sort of set up this episode now, Eduardo, or? Um, well, I was just, yeah, the, why don't, why don't we? I always, I don't have to necessarily, I don't have to be the MC. It's all, it's just, I get sucked in into what we're discussing. Um, why don't we discuss what we're going to be discussing for our audience? I think it's fascinating what you had suggested we and proposed that we discuss on this episode. Um yeah, why don't you, Alison? This is great that you just started it off. Anyhow, yeah. Well, um, so essentially, um, I can't remember who shared it with me a couple weeks ago, um, uh -huh. a clip of a news broadcast out of Dallas. So this is, so Lynn, you're in Richardson, uh, but next adjacent to the D Dallas School District. It was a new hybrid learning school, and they were taking enrollments, and it was a news clip. Um, about how wonderful this new hybrid learning school was going to be and how how they were framing it as parent and student choice, which we know, you know, historically the choice movement has been used to sort of fragment um, the education space, right? Like there's the neighborhood school people versus the, the charter school people versus homeschool. So it, it's framed as an alternate option, especially under um, the latest health protocols, like, oh, well, maybe you would like this new hybrid option, which we've known is coming. So this was a feature, um, a key part of this hybrid learning school is something called STEM ULI. So S-T-E-M, which is the science, technology, engineering, math push that we've seen, you know, at least going back to Obama, if not before. And when I watched this, the, the stimuli interface was both a software that connected to, um, creating, remaking children as avatars and earning these badges and then feeding into a workforce aligned education model, which is something that goes back through Mark Tucker and the um, NCEE, the National Council on Education and the Economy, which is uh, Carnegie Corporation funded, to the late 80s. And, and, and a lot of folks and, and the conservatives were actually right on this piece raising concerns around this Dear Hillary letter about Mark Tucker writing a letter to the Clintons when the Clintons came into office that we were going to have workforce aligned education. And this is many people frame this as socialism, right? Or, but, but really this is a, a workforce aligned, it is not 
governments running the corporations, it is the corporations running the government. It's really, in my opinion, more of a fascist totalitarian structure. And so a planned economy? Is that is that how it was framed as a planned economy? Planned economy. Yeah, planned economies, really. These regional planned economies would be an, uh, would not go over well. So that they were going to gradually engineer it into this new version. And so what we've come up with now as we have digital identity and online education and badges is that um, there's this this shift where the work it's crazy because on the one hand they're talking about regional aligned workforce economies but then they're also talking about globalization and competing globally so i'm not sure which it's ultimately going to be but the stimuli seems to be at the center of it so when i saw this and i knew it was connected to the greater dallas area i said i would love to deconstruct this with you all it's i i i pulled together I added into the news clip um, sections from, and my editing skills are not great, from a number of other videos from their channel. So Samuel has a YouTube channel, actually is um, very undersubscribed. I think most of their videos have like 40 views or something. It's it's quite- Not annoying. like you, Allison. Well, no, I'm not saying that, but I'm like, if you <laughs> no, are essentially pitching, no, I know. I mean, it's... you know, these big things saying the biggest school districts in our country are signed on to the stimuli program, you would figure they would get like more than a couple dozen views. So it, right. it's unclear exactly um, to what extent stimuli is, is real, <laughs> like fully real or what's actually behind it. Is there a bigger structure behind it? But I think it's indicative of a lot of where things are headed. And I wanted to, I wanted to talk about it with you guys because based on real education, science education with based in relationship versus this gamified version. And then I wanted to, after we have a, a discussion of it, um, talk a little bit more with Lynn about the, the educational landscape in, in Dallas and what that, in Texas generally, and what that signifies for this, this larger movement. I don't know. Does that sound okay? It's about yeah. a five minute video, I think. Yeah, I think it would be very enlightening for our folks uh, here at What's Left, for sure. Yeah. yeah so Texas meets the Bay Area. <laughs> Like it's a nice, like bringing together of cultures. We have a lot of silicon in Texas, but it hasn't been this kind of silicon. Yeah. Well, I was telling Lynn that my brother and uh, sister-in-law tried to escape California education system by moving to Dallas. So this is not the episode that they want to watch. No. Um, so we'll start with watching the video and then we'll, we'll discuss from there. Yeah. Behind me is the Dallas ISD campus that'll hold the very first of its kind hybrid school, mixing online with in-person learning, reimagining what the traditional school day looks like. Technology is changing the way we work, the way we play, He's coming. and even the way we midnight snack. But what about education? So our platform connects students to their future through providing them with virtual mentorship, digital resumes and portfolios, in a video library of over thousands of videos where industry partner employees are talking about the important skills for them to be successful in their career. So students can upload their resumes, their portfolios, and the mentors can provide feedback on that. Fourth, fifth, and sixth grade. Taylor Sheet is the founder of Stimuli, the creators behind this new virtual world students will be attending school in. It's a video game. It's a school in a video game. One login. A simple dashboard. On Google Chrome, type in stimuli.net. Once you've arrived to our home page, 
go to Student Sign-In. At the bottom, select Dallas Independent School District. Now, go ahead and log in with Clever and then select Login with Google and here enter your student email address. When your child first logs in, they will select a custom avatar. Over time, they will learn and collaborate in an open sandbox world with their friends. Stimuli is a connected schoolhouse for a connected world and easy access to your teacher. Right here in Dallas ISD. That lessons are on the right and a brief description of the project is found on the left. From your lessons on the right, there is also a quiz and a badge that you earn for completing successfully the project. First time, you may notice also a connect to Badger icon. Feel free to go ahead and connect your Stimuli account to Badger, click start lesson, and this takes you directly to your first video that you can interact with. And participate in skill building activities to prepare them for the future of work. Where students use their digital resumes and portfolio to apply to jobs all around the world. Work experience when you're ready. Whether somebody wants to play by themselves or whether they want to play in groups. Actually being able to move, move around in the screen, it just seems a little more interesting. And while this is only for fourth or sixth graders right now, Dr. Romero hopes it'll eventually be offered to any grade level so every student can take advantage of this innovative learning. Stimuli and the Dallas Education Foundation came together to design the learning experience of the 22nd century. We have built a technology that is in some of the largest school districts in America, and we're working with some of the largest companies like IBM and Microsoft. The kids can invent their own world. This is one of the most exciting components of our platform, where students actually get to engage in mentorship and other activities with um, industry partner employees that we call influencers. So as you can see here I'm currently logged in as an industry partner and I'm gonna come over here to the left side until we get to this expanded menu and then we're gonna click virtual class. So as you can see here you have your you will have your one classroom that you'll be able to see and access so you'll want to click into there and then this will be everything that you have access you've put into the lesson. We want to give them the ability to reach more of your students. One of the biggest things that we encountered in, in Dallas is that it is very hard to get an industry partner to leave their desk in order to engage with students. With a commitment of one minute a day where they post videos, pictures, and texts to motivate students or just to show them what a day in their career is like. And basically the mentor gets a task and uploads a video and she can correspond directly with those students. We want to use a lot of the skill sets that we're teaching students here in America to acclimate to corporate culture. To be our employability piece, which is how students can apply for internships. You will see their digital resume and portfolio within that feature. So we want to use our mobile app technology and we want to develop new AI into that technology in order to really connect these students to their future in a global society. Dallas ISD Hybrid Prep is the first school of its kind in Texas. To enroll your 4th through 6th grade student, go to dallasisd.org slash hybrid school. Romero believes this will eventually become the model for schooling across the nation. Equipping teachers with the tools they need and all the real-time data districts like to see. The virtual classroom of tomorrow serving the students of today. We're building a safer and better way to learn. Well, that was awesome. It's dark, isn't it? I mean, it's... It is. 
Yeah, I, I sent that around to uh, people. I posted that on uh, Facebook page, and it was like, at one level, there was a bunch of people who were like, Iowa, you know, it was really chilling. Um, I did send it to some teachers who were like, some of them actually said there might be something good about that. And then others were also saying, look, that that's never going to fully happen, you know? Um, and uh, it's, 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 it's something to see the whole thing laid out like that. Well, and parents are, there are a lot of parents who eat that up thinking that it's innovative. It's going to give my, my kid a cutting, you know, cutting edge, give them an advantage. A lot of men buy into this stuff too. The women are usually more more skeptical. Dads are always there showing up to things in the school district when they've got a technology rollout or something new and shiny. The dads are always for it, it seems like. Not to, you know, divide the sexes there, but uh, it's when I see it, I, I see, I think of, I think it was Alfie Cohn said digital doggy biscuits and that's what i think of when you hear about these badges and them you know grabbing for this kind of gamified world creating this this digital twin with the avatar and then they're talking about connected 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 well it's the opposite you're actually disconnected and so it's ironic and there and you always hear the word reinventing reimagining and it, what they're reimagining or reinventing is something that is it's not better it's, it's dystopian and sad to me yeah i agree lynn with you said that parents will eat it up i, I was at, i think i shared this at a different episode um i was at my nephew's school because i co-parent with my brother and uh, we were very involved in our family and at his school my nephew's school in san francisco I was trying to make sure that his education was not being um, what we were, what was already given to him during this time that the schools were not re uh, opening. They, they were, the schools were closed. They, they were doing virtual learning and he was in a learning part, so he didn't have to be in it much. But once he went back, I heard teachers talk about going back on in, in the classroom, but on a screen and that they were going to have a, big screen for the other students who are being home to log in and to be at the same time. Uh, I think it's, this is where I get confused, synchronous and asynchronous. I think it's synchronous, which is real time at the same time, right? So, so they had this, they, the, the, um, the school district invested in, in these big screens for uh, students as young as five to be able to log in and, uh, and be basically on Zoom in their classroom, and some students would be in person. And I just saw it as a transition to what's the future, right? But they don't see it. They're talking about it in the name of equity and more tech and more eBooks and more homework on Seesaw. And this is a program that's being used and more tech being used. And I said to the teachers, what was the point of reopening schools if we're just going to be doing virtual learning? And so she felt, I, she, I pressured her and I was being conflictive. And so they brought it up. And a few of us parents, um, families, and guardians, we got together and we decided to write a letter, an email, really, and said, we want to opt out, right? We don't want this and you have to find an alternative. You're just going to have to find an alternative. So it caused some 
um, friction at school. But I just, it, it, it's like the families I was trying, this is my point when, to your point, Lynn, when you talk about parents eating, eating it up, the families in the school that I was trying to talk to, which was difficult because we're all in virtual uh, parent uh, family meetings here. It's not like you can just be in the hallways. Yeah. They, some of them, I was trying to talk to them about um, making sure that our kids are not sucked into this tech world and our and data har- and, and harvesting their data, but they but they wouldn't. I don't know. They didn't seem to 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 too convinced. They because were more interested in. Yeah. Is that that's better? That's what the rich. Yeah. They think, okay, this is what the wealthy people have, and so I want that too. And that's yeah. where they think it's equity. So it's going to bring every you know those who don't have up. But it's it's a it's 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 a false uh, sense of um, it it's well and I always call it fakeity because they use those those words for their gain and so like okay and like in my district in one of our Title One schools this one of the chambers or one of those organizations donated iPads to the kids and everyone's just like oh this is so wonderful. And then, and then, you know, it's like, it's such a great thing. Well, it's, it's not, I don't know, it makes me sick to see it because they have the kids all holding up their, their new screens. And I, we, we all know that it's the time tested things that all kids need, those slow and steady, the books, the paper, the pencils, like using their hands. And, uh, and it's, it's sad to see that that's buy-in for the technology that it's, it's going to be this equalizer and it's not. I mean, I think part of it too is the surveillance, right? I mean, to me in the game footage of the video game, it was so obvious that there was this floating robot eyeball following the children around, staring at them. I mean, and, and, you know, and Eduardo, I think your comment about like, there's no hall to pull someone aside in, right? You can't quietly have a sidebar conversation with someone, right? Like you can't sort of, I people's body language up that easily and like have like engineer a, a, a sidebar conversation about things. When you're in Zoom, everybody's stuck in a box. You can't have, there's no privacy for any of these social relations. Not that you're trying to keep something secret, but you just might want to share something with a particular group of people or one person that you feel like you, might resonate with you. And you don't, that is shut out when you've got the robot eyeball staring at everybody. And it's just, to me, it was shocking how clear they made that in the in the game. It was just like, it was a key feature. Yeah, it brings me back to what Alison was talking about um, one of our previous episodes um, in regards to resumes and portfolios and how, um, you know, this uh, history, especially of young kids, is going to follow them through all their life uh, and, you know, how people don't see that as, you know, again, tracking something scary, something that in the again, um, that is run through an algorithm. And I think, Alison, you were the one who mentioned the, you know, this phrase of uh, algorithms being coded opinions, right? And so we have this sense of science being completely objective and, and, and you know, and unbiased. And, and that's how it's sold, right? Like, in, at the end of the video, they talked about, like, a safer world. And, you know, and, and that to me is scary, right? Like, like you were talking about families and, and how, in, in the time of COVID, you know, this seems safer. And just a year and a half ago, we knew screens were really bad for kids, you know, and, and, and here we are talking about putting every kid in, in a screen 
to for a safer world, a safer future. Uh, so yeah, those are kind of the first things. Um, maybe we'll later we'll talk about like the labor force because that's something else. You know how they uh, frame it as you know being able to apply to a job anywhere in the world and and the, the implications that that has uh, in in tracking and borders and all these things just completely changing um, with all these surveillance tech. So there's a lot, like you said at the beginning, a lot to unpack, but right now I'm focusing on the resumes and the portfolios. Um, for fourth think, through sixth grade, guys, this school is right. fourth through sixth grade. I didn't know what a resume, I mean, I never thought about my resume and, and they're pushing this stuff younger and younger because in, let, let's be honest, Workforce is not the same as education, and they don't have to be mutually exclusive, but I think they're, they're putting the cart before the horse because they're not getting that foundational knowledge, the stuff that we got, the things that all, all these people take for granted. And that Taylor Shedd, I found out she's from Plano, which is a, a suburb at, north of Dallas, and she went to private school, and, and here she's pushing this stuff on these public school kids, and it's, it's hard to watch. It's blatant. I think she said something about corporatized, preparing them for the corporate future, right? Yeah. And yeah. I mean, look, it's my job before all this happened was to prepare uh, future workers for future exploitation. That was my job a year ago, two years ago, 10 years ago, 20 years ago, um, because that's that is what education is about. Education really is about a process of reproducing late future labor. Uh, so for whatever the, the needs of capital are at that time. Um, but I do think that this makes sense to me that it's fourth and sixth grade as it relates to the global. Because when they say we want students to have access to the global uh, workforce, that means capitalists are using an, a global workforce to pick the best that they can, the cheapest that they can. That's the world, and that's the gig. That's the global gig economy that is being constructed. That I think you're. They would be right to start with fourth and, and fourth and sixth, because by around that time, I do think that's when, in about ten years, this is where it's going to be. I feel like much more up and running, and we're just at the beginning of that of that process of the transformation of the of work, so that work will look like these zoom boxes, um, and so that education needs to look like these zoom boxes. Mm -hmm. um, it was very interesting to me. Um, that they talked about, they say things like easy access to a teacher, which that's the opposite of what this would be. But look how much emphasis they put on access to corporate mentees yeah. and instructors. And they talked about, well, well, business people aren't going to leave their desk. So they talked about these things like a Slack job, like a task, like we got to give them something off the Slack menu so that there's a kid we can dump towards them so they can do something. And I did start to think about human, like this is how people who were who were trying to game the system of a human impact investment can, can win, like get, get in touch with your student so you can produce a better outcome. I mean, it, it makes, it starts to make sense how they're giving, they're giving access of these students, not just the data, but their interactions. We're losing it with the teacher, but we're going to move it much more towards uh, the corporate yeah. world and, and those, and those folks up there. So it really does look like the humans that they will be in contact with are increasingly going to be people who are connected uh, to the to the world of profits and investment mm -hmm. and whatever it is that's up there. Um, and the only other thing that really stuck out to me was um, the notion of words like you can interact with a video. 
Mm-hmm. When, when did we start thinking that you interacted with a television? Like it's, it's, a, and this is the backwards world. Like, and in many ways we hear it and we all, oh yeah, interact. But there is a way that language is being inverted um, and, and we're being retrained to think differently about what actually represents connection. Connection, connection is actually something that happens in three dimensions and through touch and through your senses. And, and, and here, this, there's an all, virtually no sense that's used except for your eyeballs and it's all indirect. You know, it's nothing, it's in two dimensions. So it's, um, it's, it's really frightening what's happening there. And, it's, and it's, it's also chilling to me that it doesn't upset more people. Um, but uh, I do think it, it really was helpful to see that video because it, it put a real face behind all the things that we've been talking about in terms of fourth industrial revolution, great reset and stuff like that. Well, I just want to point out too, it might've gone a bit quickly, but one of the sections I put in with intention was the login because they were logging in both with clever, which is a a platform that creates interoperable data across many different, I don't know if, I I know Rocketship Academy uses clever, like some of the, the different charters. I don't know if they're in use in your schools, but the intention of, of Clever was to create the interoperable data systems that will be able to track impact and feed to these online learning lockers, really. So they were, even Rocketship was using QR codes with kindergartners to log into their ed tech programs. And you would use the same QR code on the camera to log into all your different ones. So all the data fed to the same dashboard. So it was both Clever and Google. Right. And so and it's interesting, someone just shared with me today on on Twitter, um, it was talking about ESG investment holdings, this new stakeholder capitalism, and that one of the main uh, stocks being held in ESG portfolios, the environmental social governance was Alphabet, which I can't even imagine how Google Alphabet could be considered any of those things. But if you understand that like this login was both clever and your Google login, because Google has, you know, in the the manifest destiny of school district data harvest, taken over the email accounts and the Google drives of so many school districts, those two logins to me felt very significant, both from a surveillance standpoint and the human capital investing standpoint. I mean, and the other piece I I will say is the mentor part. So, you know, I had spoken about this back in 2017, the shift that I had seen towards mentors. And it was on the one hand about workforce alignment, but deprofessionalizing teaching, right? That that having a work-based project, whether it's with a video or a corporate actor throwing up a one-minute TikTok thing, is the same as actually someone who is trained in knowing how to work with children and youth in a developmentally appropriate way. It's almost like, I don't even, I can't even imagine what the the university graduate schools of education would be teaching these days um, if they're going along with this. It's it's pretty shocking. I definitely wanna go back on the surveillance thing. Um, The thing that, actually has to be understood is literally if you're if if the students are experiencing the game through essentially a world of warcraft kind of uh 
situations that you know kind of that's that's what that game reminded me of it looked like one of those what are those games called moa moab kenny what do you know do you know what those games are called they're basically where you know you get an avatar and you walk around a world and and like it's kind of created for you um like minecraft yeah or, uh, <laughs> yeah it's sort of like minecraft um, i mean they have like superhero games that are like this and you know, yeah, you're just going through and you're jumping over and yeah, and and you and you meet and you meet other people with they have their little their, their oh little, yeah, and you got you're talking to people as you're going through. Mm-hmm. Yeah, and and so first off, every single thing you do is 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 recorded. Like every single thing you do, everything you say, there's no there's no side comments there, and you can talk here, but then that's all collected as well. So it and. And it's Fortnite, that's what I'm thinking. Fortnite. Yeah, and it's gathered in relationship to a world created by some humans. Like this is a human created world. This is not the real world. This is a simulated world. And and so the fact that they get to create the simulate somebody else creates a simulated world, the, the, generally the same people who are actually going to be collecting that data, they're it's like they're literally able to run any experiment by changing that world to see what how you would respond. Because you're not, and this is where it gets to education or even science. You can't even do a science experiment in that world because it's a human world. It's 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 not actually the physical world of the surprises and observations. There there are more surprises in a student having uh, scissors, paper, and a, a, a lighter and a Bunsen burner in a lab than a thousand years of sitting inside of a simulation simulated. Thing. There's a, there's no surprises there because that world is constructed already for them. It's, yeah. There's nothing there's nothing they can't they can find that's new because it's already been entirely constructed. So so that's one of the things. It's it's a kind of educational prison, and you collect the data of everything a person does for whatever reasons you would have to do it. Right? You could say it's good, but there's literally no surprises, and and everything is collected, um, even if. It wasn't seen as something where we're collecting it to, to control you. That is a completely controlled world by the, whoever designed the program. And there, it's, it's incredibly dangerous to think of that anything in there as freeing or uh, as actually discovery. Because there's nothing that's been discovered. It was already created by somebody else. Um, right. Discovery is a very different process. Um, and maybe that's something we can talk about in terms of what again? What real? What a real science experience would look like, um, and really, what a real educational experience would look like. Because not only can you not discover anything new in the world, you won't discover anything anything about the humans that you see in there. As you noticed, when they all got up from the desk, they all got this one. They have a limited set of dances you can do because you have to choose the dance you do. You know when you meet, but there's nothing unique about you that you can really show. And that's what happens in a classroom. There's all sorts of problems with public education, but the idea that students actually get to see each other and interact with each other and be defiant collect together, that is so important to the possibility of their humanity. And that, that, human, that possibility is literally eliminated in this place. It's literally the matrix. I mean, yes. that's what that is. Uh, except they're not batteries at the end. It's data being collected. You know, so it's 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 kind of crazy for me as i talk more about it i scare myself more 
can I chime in just on, on beyond the gaming, also the mentorship stuff, because you noticed now they're going to frame this. If you kind of read between the lines as project based learning, like, I don't know if that came across clearly, but you know, we've been conditioned to think project based learning is good, right? Like, because we imagine a project the way we would do a project, right? Not that the project is now interacting with a video or interacting with an online mentor, right? In a chat box. So, but, but they're, very, they're very calculating in, in the terms that they use. And I will say one of the things when I was, I just happened to be in Dallas when I encountered this, but a lot of my work is following LinkedIn profiles. And I remember adding, going through little sis, and I was sitting on your sofa, Lynn, like in Dallas and reading the woman who was the head of, um, she had been the head of crisis text line, right? So this is the text line for people who, you know, are thinking about self-harm, right? Who are in very difficult circumstances. And that this woman then went on to a job where they used machine learning sentiment analysis on all of the texts in the crisis text line to create call center training software. Wow. Now, I would say most people, if you saw that video of like the mentor throwing up a video and having these nice conversations with students in a box or whatever we do online while we're doing chatting, um, that it would be mined for training, not like to want to create value, right, for a private corporation. And in this case, the company was actually called Loris AI, L-O-R-I-S dot AI. And on their website, they gleefully stated that the Loris was a poisonous lemur. So there was some sort of like dark stuff going on with this corporate beyond that it was simply using people's most vulnerable thoughts to create value for a company that it was this particular company. And so I would think many of the families who might jump at the fact of this giving their child an edge do not realize the extent to which these devices are actually sucking data out and profile, like limiting their children's choices in that. And, and, and that short clip that I had with Hoskinson from Cardano about Ethiopia, it was a two minute clip, but he pretty much said your metadata will follow you from your earliest childhood and it's alignment with the government's interest and it will decide who's a good actor, who's, wor who's worthy of dealing with and who has the right to have a job. So if you put that two minute clip of Cardano's plans for the children of Ethiopia up against stimuli, and you say, like, and it might not even be your personal interactions. It may simply be your cartoon avatar. And goodness helps you if your younger sibling gets into your avatar and starts doing crazy, crazy stuff with your avatar. And it's all tracked as if it were you, right? Way down. <laughs> <laughs> well, did you catch the IBM? Did it say something about? And Microsoft. And IBM, so that whole P-Tech pathway that they have. It, it was based off of I, IBM was the model, and uh, and I don't know how much you know about IBM and Hollerith and that IBM did the punch cards that they used during the Holocaust, and that was a, a tracking and apartheid. Right. What and apartheid? apartheid. Yeah. Mm -hmm. okay. So when you look at the history there, and you think about the the capability and what they could do with all of this, it it is frightening that Hollerith, it's a 
it has a big eye shining. I don't know if you've seen the posters from back then, but it's freaky. There's that eye again. Uh, and it's and the then, punch cards. It's all the data, right? So imagine yeah. the data they have at that time, the census data and the demographic data with the metadata, you know, right. the granularity. Mm-hmm. Well, and the, the founder or supposed founder, because you had mentioned, Allison, that you suspected that there was a bigger organization, something bigger behind mm-hmm. stimuli. And I believe there is, too. And if you look at this, the head, the Taylor Shed, and look at her background, I've, I've, I've taken note of her because she was at she was put on. They have these stacked testimonies that they bring to the legislature or they bring to these committees that are set up by the legislature. And so she was brought, you know, the people like me, I wait seven, eight hours at the end of the day, I get my two minutes, but these stacked uh, invited guests, she was one of them. And she gives this whole story about her, uh, her childhood or her mother. And, you know, it's, it's, it's a rough, you know, rough childhood. And, and, but I didn't see any point to why she was there because of that. And so it's, they always pick someone who has some sort of, I mean, we all have struggles in our background. Everybody's got a story, but it does seem to me that they put for the face of these organizations or these entities, they will pick people that draw upon that. And that's their, how they pitch. And even political candidates do it all the time. I, you know, uh, you know, we couldn't pay our electric bill and, was, and, and that is somehow supposed to get buy-in for this program. And it really doesn't connect at all. Uh, and that I don't mean to sound uh, like I'm not empathetic or I don't care about the struggle. I mean, I wouldn't do what I do with, you know, I work with unemployed people and some are so close to homelessness and, you know, they're, these are dire situations. Um, but they're very, they, they always pick uh, what they're strategic in how they frame the narrative, right? Yes, the equity, the equity narrative, and they equity. always use people of color to put them as the face of these things. But behind the scenes, it's it's you know a former Goldman guy uh, behind it. And so when you asked, you were saying that you thought maybe there's something bigger behind it. So so Taylor Shed serves on the Dallas Education Foundation, and. Um, so does the guy who's the blockchain, uh, the Dallas, it's called Greenlight Credentials. He's also serving on the Dallas Education Foundation. There is, there, there's something going on with the nonprofit, this whole nonprofit industrial complex that's in Dallas is always connected to the education stuff. And uh, so and Allison, I, Allison and I have been really digging into this Dallas County Promise, the free college for all. Uh, where parents have to forego their FERPA rights in order to give them access to the students. Some of the parents are also going through this Dallas County Promise where they get free college. Uh, and they also forego their, their um, right to privacy. And so it's a, it's a way for them to track these students. Uh, and if they can, they want pre-K through the workforce or womb to tomb uh, access to, to track the it's longitudinal data is, the, is what they really want. Um, but the, the same people. Hmm? Just to, just to be clear, like the blockchain uh, education model is something that both Dallas and Tulsa are on the leading edge of. Um, Tulsa has the MIT learning machine. And then in Dallas, it's 
green light credential as the blockchain, which is at this point is the high school kids, but could easily morph into these this hybrid blended model with, I will just point out the badger. If you, it was a, a brief section of that video, but it says, if you'd like to go ahead and hook up your Badger account to your Stimuli account, go ahead and do that now. And the Badger will be these badging systems that will likely be on blockchain. So I guess the question is, at what point does the hybrid school blend into the blockchain, the Greenlight Credential Program? All the, the signs point to that being the end game here. And that's really what all of this, I, you know, I didn't understand it when I would see this. The, so basically a former Goldman Sachs executive started this nonprofit. It's called Commit, the Commit Partnership. It's tied with Strive, the Strive Together Network, with which Allison has talked about in Cincinnati. But um, I it didn't make sense. Now, Allison has helped me put the pieces together. I do believe that blockchain is where they're headed with this and getting the, the, the credentials and is pitched as being this, you know, this, you own your own data, you are in charge of your destiny and no longer do you have to wait for these institutions to give you your, your, you know, transcript. Now you hold the keys to your own data and it sounds great. And then it's unhackable, immutable ledger. They talk about the ledger and, and after, you know, we collaborate and we, we share information and figuring out, she really, Allison is the one that really put it all together understanding these really complex finance structures and, and how games, right what? a lot of it is game theory and that's what's so interesting about the gaming scenario is that these hedge funds you know when we went back to the GameStop you know episode and we were talking about the you know the the app and the, the short sales like the hedge funds trade on this game theory too and so it's it's the simulated models, right? And if you push the world into a simulation that's under man-made control, it's not simply surveillance or limiting people's options, which is actually quite a beautiful sentiment, Andy, about the um, you know foreclosing discovery, foreclosing surprises, all of that. But it's actually channeling for these bets that are going to be made. And J.P. Morgan Chase is the major funder of the Dallas County Promise, right? Correct. And, and, you know, I was just up in New York this Saturday and we were doing revocations on Wall Street of these different things. And I went to the House of Morgan, right, the House of J.P. Morgan. And I was telling we had about 20 people on. It was sort of a teach in on the steps. And, you know, and I told them about Dallas County Promise. And, you know, most people understand that access to higher education financially is really tenuous. Right. So they bring people in with this option, not only a free, like a free associates, but even early college, right? So you're pushing 16 year olds, you know, in my mind, like, do we really think most 16 year olds are doing college level work? Like, why are we rushing kids? Why do we not make college affordable and give them work-based learning in the summer, then pay them for it, right? And then let them, you know, be in their 20s, early 20s when they get into work. Why are we sending 17-year-olds into a, a workforce that we know is going to abuse them, right? And, you know, J.P. Morgan, they were railroads and they were steel. And then the steel was done with coal and that was mining. And then they, they ran these mines in northern Alabama, the Pratt Mines, and they scooped up Black people for vagrancy and they ran them through trials and then threw them in the mines and worked them to death. 
And that, that thing, if we understand this promise, what is, what is the promise of empire? The promise of empires are going to mine the crap out of you. And like, now these kids are that. And well, it's uh, exclusive access. And, and so it's these, these deals are done behind the scenes and it's that green light credentials. That's a for-profit entity. It was an insider deal done. So they partner with, they partner with the, the Dallas community college district and the schools, um, you know, when they talked about the, the FERPA waiver from the parents, that's when I realized, okay, I see what they're doing here. So this is, it's just the early bird gets the worm. And so early access to this very lucrative data, that, that will be, that will, there will be a payout down the road. What's difficult is that there's no smoking gun. So it's ha- the payout hasn't happened yet. So it's very difficult to tell people, this is coming, this is coming, it's going to happen. But you can't really prove it until the payout comes. I was interested in um, <clears throat> in what is uh, Lynn's perspective from at Dallas uh, with the with teachers and um, families around this, because I'm sure you've spoken with them and what is it like sharing this? Because if, if, if what you're sharing, obviously here it makes sense, but how, how is it, it received in, 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 in your district or at least to the people you talk to? Well, I think most people buy into the idea that free college, who doesn't want free college? And so it's not really free college. It's basically just setting them up for access to different options of funding. Uh, so it may be a, a, a combination of funds that they would be granted access to. Uh, so I would say most people, if they're doing the Dallas County Promise, they're, they think, oh, you know, oh, I don't care if they have my data. I don't have anything to hide. I don't think that they... What, you know, I try and say it in the most concise, you know, bite-sized, easy to digest way, and you know, the eyes glaze over. So, um, you know, I'm, it's one a, other thing too is that they're going after the parents. Yes, and not yeah. So all I said that before, where they get. Hmm? So, it, like all of these impact deals, where they can do it to double dip. They call it like the two generation program, right? They get the kids and the parents. So if you have a high school child and then you have a parent who hasn't finished a degree or started, they've actually set their sights on doubling that market. So they're actually creating opportunities for while the child gets in the program. If you have a parent who would be eligible for the program too, they go through the program together. Well, and Allison, you presented a solution. And I think that's what I, I, it's difficult to present the problem with the model and then also get, get catch their, their attention to say, okay, here's a solution. And, and people are often looking at the problem and not really coming up with real solutions. Uh, it's, and, and it's whoever gets there first with their uh, it's, you know, these broken on purpose systems, then they come in to, to clean it up with their idea of what, what should happen. So, let me just try to, so there's this program or commit and there's something about commit that is related to creating, getting students on a blockchain. Is that, is that correct? 
As far as we know, yes, but it's, like I said, there's no smoking gun. And so it's all conjecture at this point, but all roads lead, all, all signs point to commit because the same people who are, are, uh, it's, I call it like this, it's this education ecosystem. It's a patronage network. It is tied to Teach for America. And, and you all know, I'm sure it's, you get five weeks of training and then you get promised, oh, you teach for two years because you have to. And then you get out of the classroom as soon as possible. So you can go, you know, boost your political career, get on boards and commissions and political favors. And uh, so th- there's a big Teach for America component to they're all kind of tied together, but uh, then you've got the Goldman Sachs guy and uh, there's charter schools that are tied to this, uh, a lot of education technology. So it, they're all scratching each other's backs and creating these you know, fake nonprofits. And just to be, I'm trying to understand what this blockchain thing is, um, what it really means. Cause Currently, if I'm a student and I'm thinking about, okay, I'm in high school, I'm going to college, I'm talking, I have my, my transcript, I have my file that has some information in it about me based on, you know, how I behaved and what people said about me. Um, I have a set of recommendations that I've accumulated. I have my SAT, my ACT scores. Now, that is generally the and a resume of some sort. And maybe I've written a letter, I've written an essay or a few essays about myself. And that is generally what I marshal together to move forward to the next step. Yeah, your online resume, your online portfolio. Is blockchain a, a sort of a digital version of that, but but with much more detail? Is that is that what blockchain is replacing is essentially that thing? Um, or is it doing even more than that? So they're always sneaky about how they do this. Like as Lynn pointed out, if you can frame something as the affluent districts have it, right? The children of the elite have it. And so then everybody else wants it, right? And so you'll set up a case study. And so um, back when I was starting to look into this early on and we were focused on competency-based education and the proficiency mastery model, um, this was maybe five years ago. Uh, there was something called the Mastery Transcript Consortium, okay? And they were like, and it was all like elite boarding schools, right? And these elite boarding schools were going to do mastery transcripts now, and they would have wedge pie charts where they would have things like leadership. And, you know, they would be managing not just your grades, but your characteristics. And it had all these color codings, and it looked very fancy because you're like, oh, look how, you know, deeply rich this profile is that has all of this information about this child in it that's so meaningful, right? And so they want you to want to have this thing, right? But ultimately, this mastery transcript will be your online learning locker. Like, and I think for a while, even like Harvard and some of those, the elite schools were talking about making a switch to different application processes. And I think that's part of also the dropping of the standardized test scores. Because if they accomplish what they want, there will be no four-year college, no associate's degree, no graduate programs for all but the most elite universities. And then everyone else will simply be cobbling together micro-credentials for the next gig. Like when you're talking about what will the fourth, fifth, and sixth graders do, the future that is being built out for them right now is that you will never get a degree or finish a degree, you will merely be a constellation of data points 
of things that fit you into the global gig economy or not. And that will be include your emotional and your behavioral data, right? And so, you know, they have to kind of frame the narrative. And so it's still being framed as though you have access to college. And for, you know, the next several cohorts of people, it might actually still kind of look like college. But for the young kids coming up, there will be no college because the control mechanism is the education management system, which is the carrot always like, the next thing you must have and the next level of debt you have to go into self-finance that microcredit. Um, and so that is what's going to, this is all the stuff that's going into the XAPI and into your learning locker. And that learning locker will ultimately be blockchain. Is it blockchain today? It may not be blockchain today. Is it a blockchain in 10 years? Yes, it's definitely a blockchain in the spatial web in 10 years. So, but people don't know what the 10 year game is unless you're running the game. And the people running the game are not letting anybody else know what the game is. Right, so Allison and I just stumbled upon it along the way. Yeah. But only those who really are pushing this know what this is. And, and all of us are just kind of, you know, we're just going along. So we don't know. Yeah. Okay. I have a question. Um, have you along the way uh, stumbled upon any signals that um, show this marriage of biotech and you know online is you know how, how do you see that happening in, in education and i don't know if we have enough time for that but yeah, yeah i know Ooh, biotech <laughs> well then oh, do do we ever yes in fact i'm glad you said that because that really that's an important piece of this and and so that commit partnership that it was founded by the goldman sachs that former goldman sachs guy they're moving into this 23-acre biotech hub, which is a building where this dystopian film called Logan's Run was filmed in 1976. And I was telling my mom about it. And she's like, oh, yeah, I was supposed to be an extra in that movie. And but then they wanted me to, to not, they, they wanted her naked under her costume. So she was like, uh, no, thanks. <laughs> and so she didn't do it. And so if you go and watch this film, everybody dies at 30. They've got this, this. Thing that they're born in their hand uh, but I digress so this 23 acre biotech hub is going to house five social impact organizations Draper Kaplan Richards which is a, a fam, uh, which is a foundation that's moving there the president of our Federal Reserve in Dallas is the Kaplan of Draper Kaplan Richards interesting he's also a former Goldman Sachs guy and there you got a charter school, Uplift Charters are in there, and then UT Southwestern. And so this is supposed to be, we're not really known for our biotech uh, prowess in Dallas. So it'll be interesting to see but that nexus of all of those, or those entities and how it ties in with education. And because the Commit Partnership is so focused on pre-K and access to pre-K babies and getting as many kids in pre-K as possible, uh, I think it'll be, uh, it's something that we need to watch. And if it is tied with the blockchain, I suspect that that green light will be affiliated with it in some way. Well, and then I would say, I mean, in the education space, that's the challenge of the community school model, right? Now, on the, on the one hand, they're trying to get rid of bricks and mortar schools in favor of drop-in centers. Yeah. But the school is drop-in center you know, since they essentially Obama gutted FERPA, 
it means that if you start to have health and therapeutic services in a, something that is identified as an education setting, the data is much less protected. But my, my sense is that ultimately the blockchain identity system will include your health records, right? Because there's been a huge push around um, pushing medical services into school settings, right? And they're not giving vaccines right now in the schools. We see that. Right. It makes me cringe. Right. And so like there's issues of consent for minors and having medical procedures, whatever they are, without parent consent or involvement, what the level of the records are. Um, and then the other piece of this is also food access, because increasingly, I think we're morphing through the synthetic biology into where GMO foods are being placed in position of actually changing your health status, like beyond just a normal nutritional status. But in other ways, we're talking about, you know, vaccines and foods, but other, you know, talking about like epigenetics and, you know, engineered food based on your DNA. So you can sort of see how that might overlap with the school lunch program, right? With these incentives, because now many schools, again, have been pushed to have like everyone full Everyone in the school has full access to the thing, which again, I am in no way saying I want children hungry. Absolutely not. But a lot of the food that's pushed into the school is pretty much crap food. I mean, I'm in Philly. We don't have kitchens in most of our schools. Our schools were built largely. I mean, not, I mean, there's some modern ones, but when kids walked home to go to school, uh, to lunch, they would walk home for lunch and they would come back. So in those schools, the food was just microwavable junk in a plastic bag pretty much, you know, and it wasn't the fault of the people managing the food systems, but that's just logistically how it was. And a lot of there's like commodity crap stuff that's coming into the after-school programs that's not really healthy. And so if you can imagine the food access with the met telehealth teletherapy access and all going on blockchain, because they've already shifted towards the food payments, often with biometrics or unique identifiers with your school ID, with the, that all starts to come into the technocratic system. And Lynn, um, Mike Morath, who is a key player in the Dallas education space, his career before that was with something called Minute Menu, which was food for children and I think like the elderly, like in senior care homes. It was like managed food programs. I don't know, Lynn, do you have anything to add to that? Well, just that he's been propped up as the Texas Education Agency Commissioner. So he's the the commissioner of, I think it's the fifth largest school district in the nation. We educate one-tenth of America's children in Texas. If you think about how big Texas is a target because they can take Texas you know, we're good to go. So it's always been kind of a, a hotbed of these these bad reforms. But uh, yeah, the minute menu thing, I always found that interesting because he, he keeps saying that he's he sold his company and he you know made money and it's not about money. Now he wants to go in and help kids. And he was a big brother, big big brother's little sister, big brother's big whatever it's called. And uh, he was a big brother, and that inspired him to get involved in education because he saw what was happening with his little brother. And, um, you know, there's always a story there. And they create these people through the media, and then that becomes the truth. And then it's perpetuated in every article since then. You know, this is what, what people read. And that and Todd Williams, the founder of Commit, got he's listed on Marath's application to be the the education commissioner so if you you see this 
and this lineage. What's interesting about the, the seat that he had on the Dallas ISD school board, why this is important for the nation, is because Sandy Cress was also in that seat. And Sandy Cress was picked, he's a, a lawyer, uh, uh, was picked by George Bush to help push and write. He was an architect of No Child Left Behind. That Dallas ISD particular seat, that District 2 seat, is very important in the, the education, that, that um, reform movement mm. that influences all of America. Yeah. Oh, and I'll, and I'll say one more thing about Sandy Crest. He went to work for Pearson after he pimped No Child Left Behind. Then he goes to work for Pearson as a lobbyist for a testing giant and makes millions. Uh, and, and, uh, but yes, Tom Luce. Uh, so, so he's part of this thing called Texas 2036 with Margaret Spellings and Margaret Spellings was a former education secretary under George Bush. And, um, Tom Luce has been, um, he's been engaged in education for decades. I don't know which piece you want me to tell about him just overall. The- I think that there was a, um, a gathering at one of the churches or whatever, when he was essentially talking about um, the corporate America wanting the children, like from, they were talking about, this is, it's yes. interesting when you, when you talked about um, Arnold is Enron, right? No, it was milk and yeah. milk is kinder care, but some of these corporate, they're working on the pre-K space, right? Because these the social impact bonds are in, mm-hmm. you know, home visits, pre-K up to third grade test scores. A lot of these corporations actually want corporate childcare so that they can groom up their human capital under oh. the overall, like this purview. And that's what Lou said. He's like, I can envision a day. Yes. Campus. Excellent. He, the children Excellent. never leave our campus. Like they, they were in pre-K in our campus. We have public, we have schools that are corporate schools on our campus. We raise them all the way up to be essentially you know, representatives of what we imagine the human capital is that we need. That's right. It was an article in the Houston Chronicle about Tom Luce, and he was talking about the, you know, corporate structure, the way it looks in the future is that you drop off your kid and the child care there and they're in some sort of school in the work place. But, um, and I mean, the other thing, Kenny, is the, beyond the biology is I think the behavioral training, because the impact markets are often about measurable behavior change. And so if you can imagine, like in this video game world, even maybe four or five years ago, when I was first grappling with this idea of artificial intelligence designed education and thinking, there's no way to actually, as much as you talk about accountability, if every child is getting a custom curriculum, according to whose standards, right? Like, oh, we've, we've already predicted you onto this pathway that is into like a, a racialized caste system, right? Like, because we know the future of work is something that is very limited and who's going to get jobs and who isn't. And whatever pathway you're on, you have self-reinforcement feedback loops. You put someone in one of these games, not only do you have no accountability, but you can essentially create the mindset that you want for an individual based on, you know, the, the, all of whatever data points they come in into the pre-K program with, right? And then you you decide what their me- their behavior should be. And then you make that behavior that or not, and you measure it, and then you make these impact bets. And so that's what I think is so twisted. If parents had any understanding of this, right? I mean, if you had any understanding that people were, you know, 
this was not about opening opportunity, but really foreclosing it. And in foreclosing it, actually making money off of hurting your child. Well, in this, okay, so I have a lot of questions about the stimuli because one, okay, you notice that they took an old campus. That was an old school, an old brick campus, one of those beautiful old buildings. And, uh, but I, I have a question about what this means for seat time funding, because we've been, Allison, you and I have been tracking the whole seat time funding thing. So, um, Andy, I don't know if this is in your state, but. What is uh, seat so, time funding? What? Seat time funding. So basically they only get paid. The schools only get paid if their butts are in the seats. They call it butts, jeans in the seats funding. And so a lot of districts have gone through something called districts of innovation and I always suspected that was to decouple the seat time requirements and so I've, I've also been seeing this push I think they want to get maybe you know morning and afternoon shifts in the schools, so then you can get more kids in there and then you don't really have to worry about the actual butts in the seat funding then you can have more dollars coming in for each child but um, but I don't know. These are just, this is just something I suspect, but I'm wondering how this virtual school would work for the seat time funding for one Two, the accountability system. How do they do the virtual star prep? Because star is our standardized testing. They call it different things in different States. Uh, what does that look like? Um, and these aren't questions that we can answer here, but just things to think about uh, they get, so they get money per student. They also get money um, you know, from our, ta our property taxes fund the schools. And so I'm just wondering what this, you know, what that means for, for funding. Um, I mean, I, I think know. it was always intended to go to the vouchers. I mean, I think that was the model was that the, yeah. the weighted, particularly also there's weighting in the student funding in a lot of places, which. Yes. I we have weighted average funded. daily attendance and regular uh, in the average daily attendance money. Yes. This is more like students who are English language learners, students in poverty, students with IEPs, they get an extra allocation because their needs are greater than an average student, right? And so yes. in that, like, I, I, that's, I, I, there's logic in that. Like, I agree with that, but they, that money was only temporarily meant to go to districts. Ultimately, the plan would be that that money would follow the child is what they're talking about with the mastery program. Mm -hmm. The other piece of this is the value added model or the, the testing, um, you know, when they were talking like teacher pay for performance in some states, and they would use these VAM, the value added model, which is really an agricultural like modeling process. And my gut has always been, that's for the computer programs. That, that value added model, it, like it's intermediarily for the teachers, but in the end, it's going to be, when I have my digital voucher and I'm using stimuli and I log into Clever, which math, tutoring program gets the most impact data, like mm -hmm. improves the impact data the way it's supposed to. And that is what the vouchers are going to be for. And that is what the value added model is going to be for. It's like, which of the 20 different online services that are you using is getting the return that they want on their math social impact bond. Now wow. I don't know they'll split it with the bricks and mortar school. Like maybe they'll split it half and half. Like, I don't know, but I think that's this transition point. Like we're in the middle, like this 10 year transition plan. Well, it's funny you say that because the, the biggest cheerleader champion of 
the value added model, which in Dallas ISD, they call it TEI, Teacher Excellence Initiative, was, has, was brought there by Todd Williams and the Commit Partnership. So they're, they're the biggest um, cheerleaders of that. Interesting. And, you know, the Gates, the Gates Foundation, they tried to do that teacher performance pay for years. They spent $575 million on it. And two decades later, they were like, okay, it doesn't work. It doesn't work. It'll never work. But yet they it still work for computer programs. It would work yeah. for that. Yes. If you were reduce, yeah. you reduce the kids and the teachers to data points. Oh yeah, it'll work. Well, then that's the thing that the value added model really introduced is, and I think in, in the interview I had seen, you had talked about this introduction, this fixation on data that has been increasingly going. And that, that is partly what I've seen as even, even, even schools that aren't working on a value added model are moving more towards a, a data driven way of deciding how curriculum should go. Um, and so I, I feel like in, in my mind, I feel like we've already passed through those sections of like standardized testing because standardized testing in my, to me seems to lay, lay the groundwork for standardized education because in the, over the last three or four years in science, they've been trying to move in terms of doing NGSS, next generation science standards. They've been trying to essentially tell science teachers, no, we all have to teach from the same book in the same order so that we can see uh, you know what's working because working at one school with 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 students who are primary EL, um, somebody else is working in a different school with a completely different you know group, but they want to find that kind of perfect standardized educational set that can collect as many students and move them along. And we're essentially the, the ones who are implementing it because we're essentially training the computer that's going to replace us with that. So exactly, this, this is. I feel like we've already passed standard, like standardized testing, like charter schools for me feels like last year, two years ago, we've now they've already moved through that game and they've already even moved through because I, I feel like the, the collectors here of the seats in the butts is Pearson is like, they're the ones who are going to now be able to gather up the contracts with the, for, through, from the government about, we'll be giving you that seat time. Cause we're not going to have seat time. We're going to have eyeball time. We're gonna have data time. And right. that's so seat time is, is going to be gone over the next several years because it's really going to be about um, logins and Login. who has who has that many people logging in. You can collect all that time. I do it already on Zoom. I get to see who logs in, when they logged in, when they logged off, what they said in the chat. I, I get to see it and Zoom gets to see it. So it's not for there's no pride. Anyway, it's not about just about privacy. <laughs> so I feel like. The money, to the extent that money is going to be there for education, the private-public partnership is going to be consumed by the private, <laughs> and they're going to eat it all. They're going to take everything. Exactly like, right. You know, right. And, no, it's, and, it's totally an access point, and just to cook the books and to skirt any kind of transparency. And all uh, these elected bodies—they're—they're they're just puppets. They're figureheads. They're really not making decisions that they think they're making. And so the the whole process is so so corrupt and. Uh, and i do believe they know what they're doing i believe even layer mayor london breed knows that she's the the mayor of san francisco which is a silicon valley city and i do believe she knows enough that when she says oh we've got to reopen the schools for the kids no we're going to reopen the schools and make these places you know silicon valley uh data collection centers yeah yeah i mean our mayor is all over that 
nonsense. Mm-hmm. And their innovation plan, not very innovative. What was, Lynn, your, um, the reopening of schools? Or did any schools reopen? I heard Texas was more um, open to opening, open-minded about opening schools. Yes, yeah, so we did. And so we all we did was we had a staggered opening. So the younger ones started first in August. And then uh, the junior high and then the high school opened a few weeks later. Mm-hmm. So yeah, we, we did open or maybe September, I think it was delayed and we've worn masks and we have the, we had the plexiglass shields, which they finally got rid of those after we complained so much, they were using them to, I used them to scrape the snow off the windshield <laughs> of the car and <laughs> did a nice video on that. Uh, so I mock them at every turn because there's no science involved in it, but uh, yeah, opening, we, we've been in person, but see what happened was it because the quarantine protocols were so crazy and the parents knew and the kids knew if I get COVID uh, that I'm not going to be able to play my sport or do my extracurricular activity. So I'm just going to go ahead and go virtual so that I can reduce my chances of being not even getting COVID. It had nothing to do with getting COVID or being at risk. It was that somebody around them tested positive and then they'd be forced into quarantine. So that game went on all year long. And so it, that they, they got a lot of virtual students because of that. They also lost a ton of students. So like maybe 1500, my district has almost, it has about 37,000 students. Dallas ISD has 150,000 students roughly, and they lost a ton of kids. So that means that they got fun. They still got the funding from the governor that they, you know, under the pandemic. So they got their money. Ours was about $10 million that they got, regardless of whether their kids were logging in, showing up, or any contact with the students. They were still getting funded. That's all they really care about. Let me say one thing about law students, um, because I was out with with Neil Fullman today, who is the one Philadelphia teacher that I found who's standing up to what's happening here. And he's a high school teacher too. And, And what he was saying was that the reason he's actually been put on unpaid leave because he, he, he did not think that the conditions under which the tiny little bit of school that was going to happen were humane at all. And he couldn't in good conscience participate in it. So, um, but he said that it was really like his, the mental health of his kids, you know, and, and, and he was actually in, I, I think like a special admit high school, but he said, you know, even his most engaged learners had just checked out, like, you know, yeah. and, after the whole year, he just they he just saw the level of devastation, and I think he was really outraged. On the one hand, that in going back, that there were no supports for transitioning kids back or dealing with the harm that had happened over the course of the year. And you know, I said, well, you know, we have to just be cautious because we know that that manufactured trauma is creating markets for mental health impact investing, right? Like we know that these teletherapy. Um, you know, if we think that they're after mentors for actual cognitive learning, the same vulture systems are after kids' behavioral health. And that's a whole nother data set. So, like, how does one both try to come at um, supporting these kids and healing from this whatever happened, the traumas of the past year, in a way, but also protect them from these markets forces that they're being, it literally is a fracking system of mm-hmm. their soul, 
right? And they knowing they knowingly caused the harm so that then they could swoop in and and provide quote unquote services that we are likely to harm them again. And True. and, and it, it's so twisted, but very few people understand the market dynamics in that 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 you could create a market in harming children. But it, it's there. I don't think you can, anyone can deny that it's there. So, um, you know, anyway, we're hoping to sort of organize some folks in Philly to start talking about it, right? You know, but it's, it's hard. Yeah, those who come out and say, oh, these mental health issues that have arised from the pandemic, where were they? Because I was saying that in March, in April of, of 2020, when the schools were shut down and the kids are just, you know, they're in their online, I mean, it was pathetic. So my son would check into his, so he was in his brother's room because I didn't want him sleeping in the same room. He's on his device all day. He's in you know, sleep disorder. And, and so he would go into his brother's room, he's in college and he would log in and I wouldn't see him. He'd come out for his feeding and then he would go back in. And it was, it was pathetic that, that this is okay. And the risk, and that was all completely inflated the risk on children, which we knew from the beginning, we knew, I knew, but they, you know, they still perpetuated the myths and padded the numbers. They were doing that in Dallas, uh, you know, on the mental health thing, the misconception is that suicides are up. We did have a suicide in our junior high, one of the virtual learners, but as a whole, suicides are not on the rise, but mental health issues are. And so they found that the kid, there were a lot of kids who were experiencing all kinds of issues in school that got a nice break from that. And so parents figured out, okay, something was seriously wrong. And now they were addressing it because the kid was right there in front of them. And we've had a lot of parents say, uh, like there's one mom, she went before our board and she said, I finally figured out my straight A student couldn't read. And she has six kids. She, she pulled her kids out and she's figuring something else out. But it woke her up to what they were not learning in school and how much was how much they were relying on the iPads and devices and you know, iStation and all of these. Um, With the game, you don't have to read very much. No. Right. <laughs> I mean that's right, really we can just happen. Google the answer. Why do you need to read? <laughs> That's the mindset. But so mental health issues are up and there that is an access point for more SEL. So I do social emotional learning and my Google alerts. And I mean, I just have pages every day. SEL, SEL all across the nation. Oh gosh, you know, all the learning loss and the stress and all the things from the pandemic. We got to do double down on the SEL. Well, that's just another access point for data collection, behavioral data, private data. And Lynn, you said when your schools did return, did you all do what SF schools have done where they have a virtual classroom taking place as well, simultaneously alongside in-person students? Do you know about that as well? Yes. And so uh, they were doing that and I, I couldn't remember what they called it either. It was asynchronous or synchronous. But so what my son found is that he would have to log in in person because they're wearing the masks and they've got the riot shields is what we call them. And they have this black strip on, across the top. So if you've got layers of students in front of you, you can't see or hear. So he would log in virtually in person from his little cubicle. It was, it was a joke. And then he had one teacher behind the whole plexiglass thing around her desk with two masks. And, you know, the kids are 
nobody's interacting. Nobody's touching anybody. I mean, it was, it was, I, I, it's just insane. Absolute insanity. And just, it just kept getting more and more insane. I went to a school board meeting in a different district last night and they had, so they had all the trustees six feet apart, but everybody's wearing their cute, you know, coordinated masks. And then all the parents in the audience are sitting, they, they only gave them enough seats for every seat to be six feet apart. And so it looked like, I don't know, but it was standing room only it's all around the corner. Right? Huh? It looks like the stimuli audience, although they were closer together. Yeah, right. And I thought, well, what if you come as a couple? You just sit six feet apart. Is the way the chairs, at least my school district, we have these old, uh, this hundred year old auditorium that, uh, you know, you can sit by each other. So it's, it's just, it's all political theater. It's complete bullshit. And everybody's just, oh, this is just the new normal. Totally but normal. And the human capital bond part. And it's so yeah. deeply embedded in Dallas. I mean, that's, mm-hmm. and the ed tech, the ed tech is feeding the bond markets. Mm-hmm. I imagine, though, that Texas is a lot open to resistance to that sort of culture, though, that is being perpetuated by the schools. Then here in the Bay, I think everyone here eats it up because it's liberal agenda of accepting mm-hmm. COVID is, you know, we're going to die from, you know, Jesus. What is the What is the response? Is this Dallas a mixture of conservatives and liberals or a mixture of ideas around this just quickly yeah so dallas is run by liberals uh but the perception is dallas is run by so the liberals think that the conservatives run dallas but it's bananas because it's it's not it's liberals but if you go outside of dallas in these rural areas nobody's wearing masks so if I go any, I mean, an hour outside or 30 minutes outside of Dallas, no masks, mm-hmm. people don't care, uh, except for maybe a Whataburger where, you know, it's a corporate company, somebody might, but um, no, I mean, it's, it's, it's so interesting how the left views the threat and the right views the threat, but then we've got a Republican governor. So the left hates him and the right hates him because he has, he had the authority. They've got the, the house and the Senate. He could have completely, like, he could have done what um, uh, DeSantis did, and he didn't. So it's interesting, but he's... Got loose. So, what? Got loose. Come on. Right. They're not going to let that go on. Spelling. Everybody's got to stay in line, you know? Right, right. And so uh, when you step back from party, and I'm sure you guys have, have all uh, been able to do this, you can really see what's going on and how both sides it's it's really not that different it's just the issues that they use i think the whole hegelian dialectic is it's just it's constant it's just always it's just always got two opposing forces problem reaction solution problem reaction solution we never get anywhere except for where they want us to go yeah um the only other thing i wanted to ask is had you because kenny asked a question about biotech and i thought about microsoft in la um have you heard about the, the, the what do they call it, the daily pass in, in the la unified school district well allison you're talking about it on that uh 
I don't know. I've listened to you so many times. I forget <laughs> where. I, I don't know. Well, you know, so Austin did the ID 2020, and and uh, so our our health and human services director in Dallas came from Austin, and I found this uh, event that he spoke where he spoke on a panel, and they were talking about blockchain, and you know they always take uh, you know a vulnerable population, whether it's special needs kids or homeless. Or, uh, and that's where they do these experiments or these pilots on. So they did that in Dallas, I mean, in, in Austin, um, but that's the, the uh, what's it called? Is it ID 2020, Allison? Yeah, ID 2020, yeah, with unhousing. Yeah, yeah. but, uh, and then the, the, the one you were talking about, yeah, I don't know as much about that. It's the same idea. I think so, I mean, but, but essentially Microsoft, which seems to be involved partly in this stimuli thing, they're also got their hand in essentially the plan that LA is using for testing your vaccination status, your your PCR test status, mm-hmm. your essentially your biomedical. So Microsoft has got their hands in all these different ways that uh, data is being collected. So there clearly is going to be uh, a synchronizing of these things um, and putting these all into the yes. same spot. Well, and, and IBM is Excelsior. Hmm? And IBM is Excelsior Pass in New York. So Stimuli was both IBM and Microsoft, so both sides. I mean, Excelsior isn't yet in the schools, but it is part of the medical passporting system. Hmm. Well, and with Microsoft, you mentioned LA, and, you know, Steve Ballmer, the former CEO of Microsoft, he came to Dallas, and doesn't he own the the Clippers? Doesn't he own? I think Ballmer is an owner of one of those stupid sports teams, but. His wife is part of Strive. Connie is on the board of Strive. So he came to Dallas and he spoke at uh, one of Commit's meetings or, you know, this big production that they had. And Steve Ballmer came and and whenever the Dallas Morning News writes about something, I know to to pay attention because they always brag about their their ventures. And uh, and it was, I mean, he didn't really say anything significant but i know that he's tied to commit and and strive together as she said dashboards. like they have the i can't remember if it's social solutions like so all of it that the tech companies are going to have the data dashboards for the analytics that will combine you know all of the data analytics for behavioral and academic and social welfare data for families because it's not just about the kids in the schools it's actually about low-income families attached to those kids too which is scary Mm-hmm. When you had mentioned the home visits earlier, and so Dallas ISD tends to be a breeding ground for all of these experiments, these human experiments. And so the home visits sound good because you think, well, okay, these kids are missing and we need to, to get them to come back to school. We need to find out what's going on with them. These teachers are pressured to knock on doors and get their students in the, the schools and, or, and just go and, and it sounds great. I mean, because when I was little, I remember my first grade or kinder, first grade teacher came to eat dinner at my house, which sounds crazy, but it was, it was a big deal. And, and, uh, but the teachers, that's, that's putting a whole lot of pressure on these teachers who a lot of them have their own children. And so they're asking them to go knock on doors and go into these communities uh, but we know it's not because what probably. and report back probably. Right. Yes. I mean, 
if a teacher showed up at my door, I can't even tell you what that would be. <laughs> they, they know not to come to my door. But uh, that, that, it sounds good, but we know that there's a model behind it that has everything to do with this human capital market. So it's, and it's getting people to understand because we have to use their terms or else we lose credibility. But when we use all those terms that people are not familiar with, then it, it, it kind of goes over people's heads. So it, it's a careful balance of using, using their words. And so I, I started a podcast called social impact because I kept seeing that social impact. And I thought, you know, they, they always take good words and they pervert them and they use So I thought, okay, I'm going to do the, I'm going to turn the tables on them and, and, you know, figure out how to expose this and then also not get shadow banned because I'm using their words. It's just like using the word innovation, you know, hashtag innovation, hashtag AI. I'm, when I'm exposing all their stuff, I'm using their, their, their hashtags. And, and I can't tell you how many times has this happened to you, Allison, where you, you're, you're exposing someone and then they like your tweet and they retweet it because they're so used to people <laughs> lapping it up that they don't even realize you're mocking them and you're exposing them. All exposure is good exposure, I guess, in their book. No, yeah, no bad press. Mm -hmm. um, Kenny, you said you had a, 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 a thought of, of, that you wanted to share? A visual. Visual, I guess. Um, yeah, I mean, uh, you know, a lot of these details, like you, to discuss, like they go over my head. So I go back and revisit, do some research to understand. And 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 I agree with you, Lynn. Like we have to put it into like practical terms so people can understand, um, at least to engage them so they can do their own investigation, hopefully. Mm -hmm. And I don't know, like the, the the image that came to mind when we were talking about this was this image of the matrix, the human harvesting, right? Like, you know, maybe we're not at, the, at a point where, you know, it's like literal bodies being harvested, but it is for sure minds. And, and, and so, yeah, I mean, you know, all these mechanisms of social control and, you know, nudging, behavioral, you know, engineering, all this stuff. Um, it, it, and that's what I think about these big spiders, uh, you know, like machines just harvesting my mind or the mind of other people. And, and so that's what we're up against, you know, and, um, you know, that's what we should be concerned, I guess. Um, and because it is a scary thought, you know, and I don't think some people I've had, I've tried to have these discussions with people and they, they, they get a similar response, you know, that's going to happen down the line. It's not happening yet. Yeah. That's the way out there in the future. I, I love dancing, right? Like I love Latin sounds and, you know, I follow a lot of things on Instagram. I try to fight Instagram. It hooks me. It still, you know, nudges me. It, but <laughs> the, scary, the scary part is that I, I've started to see more often avatars of people dancing, you know, oh, wow. and, 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 and so that is scary, you know, because dancing to me is intimate. Like the Latin sounds is intimate. It's one, you know, two people dancing together, holding, touching, having some sort of intimacy in an exchange, you know, of reading body language, reading, you know, predicting what another person is. It's, mm -hmm. a, you know, it's a human exchange. And, and, and so I'm seeing these avatars more and more. I've always struggled with, you know, you know, kind of following, you know, social uh, media. And, but more and more I'm seeing myself standing alone, you know, and, and less people dancing together. Mm -hmm. And so that's what's at stake here. 
you know, um, for me at least. And that's how I can, that's how I try to explain it to my mother who may not understand all these technical terms, you know, and as to why, why we need to, you know, speak up, why we need to fight. And, you know, because we are being harvested and especially the younger ones, you know, they're the ones that are going to be that, you know, they're, they're the seed for those, that, that future. Yeah. Wow. That yeah. is home, Kenny. Thank you. Mm-hmm. And that's why I do think the essentially public education needs to be flattened um, and leveled for this new education system to be rebuilt. Um, and it may sound strange because I actually think they do need to destroy. The only thing that could have stopped this would have been us teachers collectively refusing the internet into our, literally saying we're going to paper and pencil. That's the only thing that could have stopped this. And we would have had to all say it and been like, we're unplugging you know, completely because we think that these forces out there have, have a pernicious intent that we're not going to let them collect you. So we're going to stop them here and we're going to make it that much harder for them to build the, 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 the remote workforce that they're trying to, to, to load you into. But if they can essentially, now teachers unions right now are doing the opposite of fighting. They are literally promoting the problem and teachers are buying into it because they're buying into it. Um, but I do believe that that could, to me, seems like the only place that at least we as a collection of education workers could have stopped it. Because once they dismantle that, then mm-hmm. we're all broken apart. Then the, the, the possibility of stopping the process has to come somewhere else. Um, because I, I will actually say it's going to be outside of the edu- education workforce sphere to do it once they essentially make it a, essentially an all AI place. Um, so it could still be stopped by a collection of workers right now because yeah. we're collective enough. But unfortunately, we're a bunch of idiots and we don't know what, what's happening. And we're actually pushing something that we should be like stop, you know, pushing forward something we should be stopping. Um, but I actually do think the capitalists know that if the teachers ever got around to it, they could still stop this. Um, and, right. and teachers I, and parents, there's more of us. Yeah. And this is what teachers do say, though. It's really weird. When I talk to teachers and say, well, you know, this is coming, they go, well, I don't think it's come because parents are going to stop. And I'm like, well, how are they going to stop it if we're letting it happen? It's like, why are we not joining them in stopping it? So it's, it's weird in some ways. But and most teachers are parents. I mean, the, I know they're parents. And so yeah. it, it, it doesn't make any sense, but they've divided us and they've distracted the PTA parents with all this bullshit that matters none. And then the teachers are, you know, they're exhausted and all the things that are required of them. Well, yeah, you're right about the the unions, though, because I used to lock Allison and I locked arms with the unions for years. And we would be I'd be at the legislature and I, the you know, the right, the Republicans would always be like, oh, those teachers unions, you know, you can't fire a bad teacher. And 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 I and that's none of that was true. But at the top, Randy Weingarten, she was on this, uh, she was an early signatory with the Dallas ISD superintendent for this reimagine education deal in 2015. This is before he was even back in DISD. He was in Atlanta, uh, uh, the DISD superintendent. So Randy Weingarten is partnering with these, I can't remember who else was on there, but she's essentially handing over the schools to these tech companies 
And then now that the pandemic hits, then she's saying, oh, we don't, we're, I'm going to defend these people and we're not going back in the classroom until it's safe. And, and so it created this war. And then the districts are saying, well, we can't open. We don't even have teachers who will show up. I'm like, call their bluff. I guarantee you they would show up because most, most of the teachers didn't want this virtual nonsense. They did. Uh, that, that's, where I, that's where I believe that, I mean, at least in my, where I am, it's not like they wanted it, but they were perfectly like, yes, I, I see what Randy Weingarten has done and I see what the, the union apparatus has done. But at mm-hmm. the base, teachers as workers have gone in completely the wrong direction on this. They, they were not, they were not just dupes of their union bosses. The union bosses and teachers have been in lockstep on this question, and it has, um, it has been very destructive. And that, that's why I would be like, I do see it as a union problem, but it, not a union problem just from the top. It's a union problem at the base of our workforce. Where most work, uh, most teacher workers say to themselves, "I'm doing my, I'm keeping these kids safe by staying out of school," and it's teachers like you, Andy or AJ, who say we should go back. That are trying to kill our kids. That are trying to like, no, grandma. Know, yeah, and and that and they don't understand that the ground is being lit on fire. The law as we stay out of here, you know, the whole thing, the whole apparatus of in-person education, of education that we actually could potentially still control and and have a future in that's being taken out of our hands the longer we go remote so true what do we need them for right and once once they actually once they get us all behind the laptops like then like i i think i said this to allison before i'm no longer a mission high school teacher i'm a teacher in the pacific standard time zone and just like these kids are going to be part of a global work i'm actually then part of that global workforce it's like hey they need you in japan you know, like, okay, you know, I, I can't find a job here. I got to go work in Japan. I'll wake up at a certain time, teach English there or teach science there to people who want to learn English in Japan. There, That's a thing. Some yeah, of my job true. seekers do it to fill in the gig work. And that they'll, they do that. I have a lot of teachers come through the job ministry. They say, I will do anything but teach. They quit their job mid-year. Their hair is falling out. They're miserable. And they will, they say, I will drive Uber. I will work for Amazon. I will do then they're forced into the gig economy. Ugh. And they're, they're great teachers. They love the kids. They cry because they don't want to leave, but they're so miserable and they can't in good conscience do what is asked of them to do to the kids. That happens too. I, so, I, solutions. Do we have any solutions? <laughs> well, I, I do think it's possible if teachers, get our heads on straight. Like if in my dream world, my teachers at mission would come back to school next year and refuse to do two things. They would refuse any of the health and safety demands that are being restrictions that are forcing the schools to adopt all these things where you're, you're not allowed to share and you've got to be this much distanced. We would literally scrap them and refuse to do them. And number two is we would, we would literally refuse to have any online, anything, um, any, tech anything go in school and none of this nonsense at this point unfortunately whether we talk whether we think that a computer computer education can enhance real real um in-person education at this point it is a life and death struggle we cannot afford to have it in at all 
We can't afford to see sneak it in through the door. It's a Trojan horse. So we have to end it all. And we have to understand it's a battle. Um, and so we have to see the, their tools coming in are, are a way of attacking us. And so we, can, we cannot be any compromise on this. So that would be the mindset we would have to enter in August. Um, and we, I do think if we did that, I actually think we could, we could make real inroads on the beginning of a fight. Um, but beyond that, I don't, I don't see, at least at the education level, for education workers, um, I, don't, I don't see any other way other than that. You know, my son, I pulled my son out after a horrible year. The third is my third child. And he was totally stressed on this, this um, high stakes testing. And they were telling the kids that they wouldn't get promoted to the next grade if they didn't pass the test, which he wasn't even at risk for failing. So I pulled him out for fourth and fifth grade. I put him in a, a private school for two years to remediate him. He had about 10 or 11 kids in his classroom. Uh, best decision I ever made. They had a 50-year-old curriculum that used to kind of mirror what I got when I was in school because we I knew kids that went there. And then we fed into the same junior high and high school. And those kids did really well in school because they had more of a phonics based, uh, you know, reading um, program and no tech, low tech. I mean, they have a computer room where I think they learn typing and stuff. They really don't use any technology. And I uh, hooked up some parents who are thinking about purchasing that model and scaling it uh, so that they, because I think there will be a backlash of parents, but the sad part is, is that they, you know, it's 10, 12, however many thousand dollars a year. And some of these, uh, some of these private schools for special needs kids and learning disabilities are 25, $30,000. People can't afford that even with the voucher. And so it's unfortunate that the public schools, you know, they talk about these really um, organic models like Montessori, but they're all, they're all co-opted by this, sensory play tables and the ed tech stuff. So they're not really Montessori models, but it would be great if we could have a return, like what you're talking about, just just, just a no tech school, because we know that that's not what kids need. They don't need technology. They're digital natives. They can have it at home, but at school, I really think that it's, um, it's what they need is the, the old school stuff. What are the blockchain people are gonna do, Lynn? <laughs> Right. What are they going to do with their kids? Well, and I wanted to mention that um, this is a, we were talking about how complicated this is, is there, there was a, a, he was a Senator at the time and he brought forth the Senate bill 1318. It was this pay for success, a social impact bond bill that passed. And then eventually the, the TEA uh, uh, commissioner hired a social impact bond director, a charter school guy, but that, that Senator who's now a Congressman, his kids go to this elite private school in Dallas and he's pitching this social impact bond where investors will make money on the math scores, the improved math scores. And I just thought, can you imagine if at this elite private school, they were like, okay, we're going to bring in these bankers and these investors. And so, you know, every click your kid makes, they're going to get, they're going to make money on there. I mean, can you imagine them tolerating that? They would never ever accept that for their own children, but in the public school, Oh, but those kids—they need—they need this in the public schools. We're just this little, this little petri dish in this experimental laboratory for them. They—they they literally call our education reporting in Dallas Morning News. They call it an education lab, and it's funded by Todd Williams of Commit and you know some family foundation and 
and uh, some architecture firm that makes money off the schools. Like that's who funds our education news in Dallas. So we, we have to be the news, like what you're doing here and what Allison does, what I'm doing. Uh, we have to be the news because the media is, it's all, it's all propaganda left or right. Doesn't matter. They're all working together. My mama's soapbox over here. <laughs> well, I appreciate you guys making time because Andy, I'm I'm very I'm so appreciative of the stand that you've taken and being on the front line and really the belly of the beast of all of this. And and Eduardo, the guy over there in that box next to me. Oh, oh yeah, he's up for me. He's right here. <laughs> you too. Yeah, I mean, I. Yeah, you know, I. I sort of despaired. I was already despairing of education, like before all of this happened a year ago, you know, all the health stuff and, and I've been pulled back in. <laughs> Allison said when I first met her and I said, I'm a teacher. And she goes, I'm done with teachers. <laughs> and and I, she was honest about it. Like and I could tell I, I had months of work to do if I was really going to have a trust here because she was burned hard with teachers and and um i so allison whenever you said hey this guy's doing it it means an extra special thing for me because you were an unbeliever you were like <laughs> i'm done with this group and, and kind of i'm now feeling a little bit done with teachers right now because i'm looking for other else and that's going to have to change i know it but right now i'm, I'm going to find the allies where i can find them and i don't think they're among teachers i mean aj and there's a few people i can name but by yeah. and large Teachers have just drunk the Kool-Aid hard. Mm. Well, they wow. snitch on you. Yes, they do. Yes, they do. They get rewarded for snitching. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. They get they get to wear jeans on Friday. <laughs> That's what they they dangle the dumbest things over teachers and they grab for. I'm like, oh my gosh, is it that easy? What can I dangle to get you to stop? You know, it's so sad. Well, I definitely appreciate being able to have this conversation and meet you, Lynn, too. And um, yeah. I've already, my uh, my sister-in-law has already asked me for your email address. Okay, <laughs> perfect. Lynn yeah. is fierce. Like we, I mean, like I said, there are not all that many people that came along for the ride this time around, Lynn. And Lynn is definitely one. And we went all the way down in the old Park Lynn debate room together. <laughs> yeah, <laughs> so like, we sure like, did. Yep. So the uh, compound in Dallas, right? Not just education. She's on the smart city stuff too. You know, we're, she knows the whole deal. So my um, one trick pony. <laughs> well, thanks for holding, hosting us tonight. And, you know, I encourage people to like revisit that stimuli video at the end, you know, like I know you're going to embed it in, but like watch it more than once. Cause it's short. And I really packed a lot in, into this larger conversation of where is, the future of education and this human capital surveillance and um, globalization, really, you know, like training really fourth graders up for this. So, yeah. And, and I, I want to thank you both for um, speaking up and being loud because um, I think, you know, if we ask about solutions. I feel like that's all we can do right now. Hopefully, people will listen and I'm listening to you too. You know, thank you and hopefully we can. Keep talking shit. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> a long, long-term uh, conversation. Yeah, thank you guys. All right, 
Well, I'll, let's just conclude with the outro. What's Left is a weekly political podcast slash channel challenging the mainstream left. We post information about our topics and our guests on the episode notes wherever you found this episode or on our blog at what-s-left.webnote.com. Uh, you can find past episodes to this podcast to this podcast slash channel there and connect with us. I remind folks, if you like anything that you've heard here, please uh, share your favorite episode, rate, review, subscribe, turn on your notifications, jot down our our YouTube channel before it, it, whether it gets shut down or not because of the information we're sharing, <laughs> please. Nothing um, left. <laughs> right. <laughs> <A new name. laughs> uh, um, uh, you can find us on any of our platforms on Spotify, iTunes Podcast, Instagram, Google Play, uh, BitChute, Libri, Odyssey, uh, or YouTube, and now Telegram. Yeah, I forgot. Telegram. And if you would like to give us feedback about something you've heard or suggest something for us to cover, contact us through our blog. Uh, I'm Eduardo Barca with co-host uh, Andy Lipson and Kenny Cepeda. And thank you for joining us, Lynn Davenport and Alison McDowell. Thanks for having us. Thank you all. <laughs>